Hello, and welcome to What Our Point Weekly, where we bring together a variety of perspectives to discuss the biggest stories of the week and decide what our point, or if in fact there are no point at all. Please, if you like what you hear, follow us on Twitter and Instagram. Today it is Wednesday, January 26th. All of the regulars are with me. Hello. Hi. Dan's barely paying attention like normal. And then we have with me special guest, Jad, who is also a UChicago Maroon. What an awful name for our school. But I used to see Jad around, I guess, Hutch, and then probably at like one of Timor's Labor Day parties or something like that. Yeah, one of his infamous parties. Uh, yeah. So what's been up, man? So where are you currently? So I'm currently in Europe. Uh, for work and not to like groan on it, but I do international tax and estate planning. So when people get into these really sticky, tangled technical situations with different fields of law that interact with each other, I try to help them untangle it. I so see. Working on so something now. As a first time guest, how would you, is there any, any direction you'd like to send us and what do you feel like talking about? <sighs> you know, man, I don't have a thing on my mind right now, but everything on my mind at the same time. So I'd rather kind of just like sit back, see how you guys do it. And then, like, chime in. Cool. So my main thing that I like to do is antagonize either Nick or Dan. So Love it. I think he's been away <laughs> for uh, 15 years running, and he's pretty good at it. <laughs> I, uh, I'm attracted to personalities like Seth, because I feel like you're a bad boy. Like, you're... Ooh. You're going to get us in trouble, but we're going to have fun in the process, but we're not actually going to get in trouble. Okay, this is the wrong dangerous. direction. This is the so wrong Nick direction. Is, is like just <laughs> defying the Republican Party right now. <laughs> yeah, Nick. Oh, yeah, I've been I, bad. I, I do- I do always wonder this about you. Like, do you crave the things you can't? Like, you're very into military stuff. You like, but you're kind of a homebody. There's like this inverse relationship between your affinities and your nature. Oh, that's deep, man. Well, we have a guest. I mean, uh, <laughs> like, like, well, I don't, you don't know, have do to really think Like he has a mobile with like a gunship, gunships. Yeah, for his five month, five month daughter. So I don't know how inverse that. that All right, fine. Is. Never mind. All right. So wait, I think okay, he's pretty it, committed. Like let's be let's be real. Like Nick is is nothing if not authentic. All right. Well, what is what is uh, who is Seth? So what is I mean Seth is organic matter. I guess what is Seth? But who is Seth? Seth is I mean I'm more who like is wavelength. Seth? Saturday? I consider but myself more Seth? of a wavelength than an actual piece of matter. If you know what oh. I mean. <laughs> I don't want to go there, though. So wait, my real question, as I've been preparing to talk to Nick about Ukraine, I like read way more about this than a a normal person should. And that's kind of the point of what I hate so much about this stuff, is I feel like Nick is getting the people on Nick's side of things, hawks, this is all good for them, and it's good for Putin. It's good for everyone on both sides of military buildup, because like it makes people that are in the NATO be like, oh, we really need this. And then Putin's playing off of that to get his concessions. So at the end of the day, everyone is happy if you love war. That's what I was trying to express in the last podcast. But what are you showing me? Some sort of, oh, that's a Pentagon? That's like a cat mm. Pentagon toy? Everyone. Yeah. Right. I think that's the problem, Seth, is like, how do you get, it's the military industrial complex. Everyone wins if there's war, except all the people in the world. I think um, another podcast that somewhat rivals us in uh, readership, Joe Rogan, had... Jordan- we both have zero readers, which is helpful for the world. <laughs> we mostly illiterate people listen to this. Exactly. Rivals. We're rivals. Mm. Joe Rogan had uh, Jordan Peterson on this week, which caused some, I don't know, issues. But he, Peterson, had a good claim about how the only reason people are in real abject poverty anymore in the world is because of, like political like malignancy i don't even know what you want to call it like 
we create yeah, ineptitude. Yeah, just ineptitude and like it's political problems that cause poverty and like hunger and starvation now, not like resources. And it's because there are too many people that love war that we then keep having displacements and refugees and abject poverty. And so for the 7,000th episode in a row, I'm going to say war is bad and we should have less war and the United States should not enter into anything and not escalate anything. But Dan, to push back, what about the shareholders, man? Shareholders. (laughs) Nick, you're also on mute, Nick. You got to unmute yourself if you want to speak. That's the thing is I think like we had this world where we should just all agree that like it was bad that we outsourced all the jobs. That was not a good thing. It was bad that we let Exxon just bribe governments to make their share price go up. Like those were bad things. And so <laughs> this isn't. These are not explanations for private armed equity conflict. Is, these what? are not explanations for armed conflict. I mean, yeah. there's a there's a yeah, book called War is a Racket by yeah. the former Commandant of the Marine Corps, Smedley Butler. Actually, well, he wasn't Commandant. He he. I think he received like two medals of honor. I mean, this was at a time when the Marine Corps was sent to Central American countries to fight wars because Dole Fruit Company lobbied the U.S. government. I mean, this was a time, a different era in our nation's history. Yeah, but don't you, okay, going back to to Ukraine, don't you feel like... Right now, they are not caused by military action on the part of the United States. They're caused by military action on the part of a Bashar al-Assad or Vladimir Putin. Or a Kim Jong-un in North Korea. We have North Korean refugees flooding into China. I mean, these are just these are these are created by autocratic rogue regimes that do not want to adhere to the international system. I mean, the largest displacement in modern but history Nick, occurred think, with Syria because a Bush, because the Western world, the dem- democratic world, don't you think if you take a if you take a wider view of history, America has done a lot to sort of escalate military conflict around the world by having a strategy of constant deterrence from the Cold mm-hmm. War onward about like. Oh, how many nuclear bombs do you have? Well, we're going to have 10 more. Oh, well, you're going to have many, how many bases are you going to have here? That, does, oh, well, that does not back. cause refugee crises. I mean, nuclear competition, arms control does not. Ha- it causes no a gradual rising. To that caused I, refugee crises. I, I think there's, I think there's a difference though. I mean, between cause and effect, I think Nick, you're right in that like the cause can be these rogue regimes, but the effect of not solving the problem you know, can be down to what Dan said about political incompetence or even straight maleficence. I mean, there's a profit to be made about sustaining the war rather than ending it. So I it, I can feel it can be like very opportunistic in that a chaotic situation arises I mean, and then it's exploited. Well, look at look at Joe Biden ending the war in Afghanistan. I personally think that that, that was will, a great thing for America. It was uh, not a great thing for that poor, unfortunate 17-year-old Afghan soccer player dangling from a C-17. Um, I think that that will ultimately, surprisingly and ironically, benefit the arms industry because we will have to re-engage in Afghanistan after uh, an Al-Qaeda Haqqani network attack on U.S. soil. So I think the but war in Afghanistan we is not have over. Been in- but Despite you definitely whatever think we should you... have been in Afghanistan for 30 years. You're definitely on board with that decision. I'm not. I think we should have won the war in Afghanistan. I think oh, we defeated God. ourselves. Nick, I don't think you don't Taliban even know what winning would look States. like, brother. Trust me, you I have just, no I was, idea. Last time the United States won a war, 1945. I just want to. Uh, I mean, limited aims are a total. I mean, limited aims. Nick, let Chad say something. War. Damn it, Nick. This is. So Bosnia, I just want to like, point out. Kosovo. I I find it highly curious that the war in Afghanistan ended coincided with the collapse of opiate prices. 
and we just exited the world's number one opium producer. Mm. Fentanyl crash, the, the price the of heroin. Taliban, the, I think the, ta- the Taliban, yeah. I mean, I'll give also, them all those cre- some credit in the 1990s Pharmaceutical companies sued. I mean, that whole opiate epidemic yeah, coincided right after the war in Afghanistan is when the opiate epidemic hit America. And you had opiates being prescribed willy-nilly all over the place. I, I don't then think there's a, a sudden, correlation. I don't think oh, there's a correlation dude. between o- opium production in Afghanistan and the opioid crisis in the United States. I don't think there's a correlation. I think these are there's, just... The other thing is like fentanyl. Like fentanyl is what is is what poured gas on the whole opium crisis. Like that... that fentanyl... You don't need opium to produce fentanyl, though. No, I know, but that's yeah, the but point. You're, like, you're, when proving, fentanyl you're became, proving your argument wrong. When fentanyl became available, that's what poured all the gas in the opiate crisis. Like, that's what caused all the overdoses, much more so than, like, a difference in production in opium, in my opinion. Yeah, and, that, well, again, and there's and no correlation between the production I mean, of fentanyl and any armed conflict in Afghanistan. I think we could pivot on to a non-war topic. Should we talk about NFL football? Or we could talk about international tax issues and tax treaties and how crypto oh, work, oh but, Lord. Uh, kidding. We're not we're not gonna do that. But we could talk about the fact that did Coach McDermott <laughs> of the Buffalo Bills make one of the dumbest plays ever when he kicked when the Kansas City Chiefs had 13 seconds left to get a field goal and he kicked the ball off through the end zone and didn't do a squib kick, which would have taken five to seven seconds off the clock. Who was, was the analytics dork that said that was the right call? I wanna right? know where he is. No one well, Kill wasn't um, back to return the kick, so why did he kick it? Right, that's the only thing. So I think that, like, pre- presumably they were scared of Hill making another big return, and they made the people. call beforehand. No, but and then like maybe there was a communication breakdown. That's the only possible defense that I can think of. Because this otherwise, is why I also don't think people overuse a- analytics. Like, because there was many times in that Bills Chiefs game where it was like, oh, there's no way this could happen or that could happen, and then the thing would happen. It was, I think the other one that it was shocking that was not used, and I think this will definitely be used next year or maybe later in the playoffs, is tackle Kelsey. Just tackle him. The worst thing that happened, it's a five-yard penalty. And the clock runs. The clock doesn't. You know, sometimes, Dan, you're from upstate New York, right? I think. I'm from Massachusetts, but I I, I appreciate okay. that. I felt bad I'm for that. Okay. I, I remember northernly something, but like, I just, some I don't know, in some teams, like, throughout decades, just have choking in their DNA. I mean, the the Bills went to four Super Bowls in a row and couldn't seal the deal. Like, It's true. What do you and do? I think, what are you going to do? And I think that's, for instance, choking in their DNA. That's Aaron Rodgers in the playoffs in general, but especially against the 49ers. They're, I have never had more pleasure in my life than watching the last five minutes of that game, partially just because of... The sheer absurdity of that punt being blocked, I was watching and I let out a guttural, like, no way when that happened. Partially just because (laughs) the ball flew so far in the air, two of the players turned around and put their arms in the air, like, where the fuck is the ball? It was That was one of the most purely joyous moments of watching football I've ever had in my life. It was, and then obviously Aaron Rodgers just like deadened face at the end of well, the game. Well, now also him complaining after the fact about how a lot of people were rooting against us because I uh, I didn't get my shot or I just trusted in Ivermectin or blah, blah, blah. blah. Like, it's, you know. Oh, what, it's, what, it's, it's, Aaron Rodgers always likes to act like he's just so cool and zen and like, I don't know, like the modern day Kenny Stabler, but like more chill somehow. And he's just, he gets frustrated just like the rest of us. He's human. He's yeah. not Jesus. Go back. All right. Man. 
So what should we? I feel like it's it's bad to uh, beat Dan up too much because you know it's finally coming out how obvious his struggles have been. I feel like on this podcast <clears throat> we've been calling it. Is Biden little... struggling? I don't know. I think we might. You all might be too negative. We might have the Great American Comeback right now. It I might thought be. it was pretty spicy. And do you do you bet? How much money are you willing to put down that the Republicans win midterms? Win the midterms? Take how, back the house. How much money are you willing to put down that they lose in twenty twenty four? Even at Biden at the mm-hmm. year of his polling, poll today, Biden, DeSantis, Biden up, Biden, Trump, Biden up, Biden, Pence, Biden up. Gotta love it because generic. Oh, dude, Pence would get nowhere. Uh, Matthew it's McConaughey, Pompeo, is. Biden, Pompeo, Biden. Yeah. yeah, that also doesn't mean a lot. The Republicans. Yeah, sort of like it's like too far out. Most, right. Yeah, exactly. Like there's they like three more years of closest, sorry. shiniest no, object is the, the Republicans. Is though, all of the non-generic Republicans, aka the modern Republican Party, that's a little toxic. They just can't win, and so. What about Biden? So, well, I think there's a big. What is non-generic between, like, though? A two-year projection and like definitively saying that they can't win, right? I can't win. Okay. Oh, Mr. Analytics, you're ready. Here we go. This is. Uh, just, I don't know. Uh, just go by. Oh, did I just did I just set off something that I'm going to regret? <laughs> no, no, no. no. I, I don't know. I just think uh, there's a there's a little bit of uh, misplaced cockiness here. No, you know, like two years cock- two years is a long time, right? Like two years is a very long time. What happens if the Republicans win the midterms and then Biden can't get anything done and? He gets portrayed well, Dan, as a total I was total also partially referring on, on one podcast maybe a month ago, you were pretty sure that all of Biden's Build Back America plan would be passed by like the next week. And then the next week, it was the next week. <laughs> and now we're the next year. So I was it's that's more what soon. I was. It's coming what, soon. What's the equivalent of QAnon yeah. for Biden supporters? Like Biden. Well, Dan, what calendar do you, I use Gregorian calendar. But sometimes <laughs> I use the lunar it's confusing. I use um, the Dan calendar, which says this is not a good time. It's going to get better. And Build Back Better is going to pass. Then Biden's going to confirm a Supreme Court justice and everyone's going to be happy. And in, and in Hinduism, down. isn't time not linear? So time's Ooh, not linear. Yes. See, this is where I want this build to go. Back better be built back before or something i don't know right right, right. oh man but i don't like drop uh, deconstruct <laughs> i georgina's teething yeah, so i haven't slept well I, that's why i'm saying I just stuff the video of nick's face right now just this ultimate trolling i just i love the joy no, of trolling a, it's on his face chin. right now i gotta lose weight here in my chin no but the so wait, this is in a good, eyes i can see so i gotta shout out uh jad you have one of my favorite instagram pages do you want the general public to know what it is or, or yeah sure more than welcome to more than welcome to what is it actually what's your handle it's sleepy jad sleepy jad there you go and i did not do this by the way this this username is like 15 years old this is not like an anti-woke username it just so happened to be sleepy jet so i just i really appreciate all your posts because they really run the gamut from like you know science-based things to somewhat conspiracy theory based things to Um, like to like tarot aficionado posts to like mm-hmm. Zodiac or like, so I was just wondering, it seems like you personally have taken a shift away from like the directly, n- n- not even empirical, like totally empirical information into like, m- maybe there is something to be said for things being defined more through <clears throat> traditions or context. I don't know. I think about this a lot and it's a conversation that comes up on the edges of this podcast a lot, but I feel like a lot of these morons are too into their either Excel sheet, policy history, the like the things that they read in their textbook or you know their whatever their financial wisdom their like economic wisdom whoever these people might be seth is shitting on us she's pooping on 
our your your we're your correspondent. Dan is your J Crew correspondent. Ben is your like Sanjay Gupta <laughs> medical correspondent, and I'm your like token. I don't know what I am. I'm in the J Crew, <laughs> but on that note, I do have to uh, do have to duck out for another meeting. I apologize. Oh, oh all right. Could have gone you. for like four oh, hours. Yeah. But do we have any final <laughs> final picks for this weekend for the football? Just to circle back on that topic. Depends on the final I, line. If Bengals Chiefs gets over seven, then I kind of like the Bengals, especially on a teaser. Chiefs 49ers in the Super Bowl. I think Chiefs Rams personally. Ooh, that would be a throwback, wouldn't it? Yeah, I see the Rams too. Um, I don't know. I don't trust Stafford. The the problem is Rams. Stafford was like as good as anyone this past weekend. The problem is the Rams are shooting themselves in the foot. Yeah, Yeah, but they have so much talent. They paper over everything. That's just the the talent in their roster is four fucking times in a game, then they're gonna be okay. So all right, it's been real. We'll talk to you all next week. So it's funny because what you were saying about people who are very like um, almost hyper rational and empirical. And that's actually kind of how I started getting into this stuff was I found out like most people don't know this, but most of Isaac Newton's writings are on astrology and the founding fathers hella into astrology. I mean, if you know the history of the U.S., you know that Washington, Franklin, all Masons, astrology, tarot, Kabbalah, all that stuff is very fundamental to Masonic, you know, degrees and understanding and whatnot. And so I'm looking, I'm like, okay, Pythagoras was into it. Newton was into it. George Washington was into it. Like all these great men who I admire saw something to it. And they're not, they are rational thinkers. They're empirical thinkers, but they still, for some reason, observe like foundational dates and when buildings are dedicated in Washington, D.C., back in the 17 1800s used to line up with specific astrological placements and events. Why? So I got into it and I started studying it and I just found it interesting because this stuff goes back. I mean, it goes back so long in an unbroken tradition. I mean, to the time of Sumeria, you're talking way into 10,000 years ago. And the Zodiac that was used, you know, eventually developed, the core of it is still the same. I mean, think of that archetypes that are 10,000 years old that have been codified and written down in clay tablets are still being used and projected now into, you know, people's smartphones and pop apps. I mean, that's the aspect of it that I relate to is that um, at some point, no matter how you believe in the world, perception becomes reality. If you're into markets Mm -hmm. or if you're into psychology or whatever it is, perception just straight up becomes reality. So if literally the whole world has been talking and basing people around these archetypes forever, and now you realize as you grow up, people talk about your Zodiac as this or that. It took me forever to even know what a Capricorn was supposed to be because I would hear it so much and I had such a reversion to even thinking about it. And then I would research it and be like, that's not me. So like, and then as I got older, I realized like, damn, even if I don't believe in it, it's going to affect my personality just in like an anti-positive way. So you really can't get outside of these sort of archetypes. And if this is, if these are the archetypes our world has been bestowed, then at some point, you have to like understand them to understand the things going on around you, or at least that's the way I approach it. Tarot is a little bit different, obviously, than the Zodiac. Tarot is different, about yeah. Those archetypes. The, the tarot, I mean, are you guys familiar with Joseph Campbell's The Hero's Journey? Yes. The tarot is essentially that. You, so the tarot evolved out of an Italian card game, and you used to have four suits, which were rods, pentacles, uh, swords, and um, cups, instead of hearts, spades, and diamonds, and clubs and then they were used for divination and like telling fortunes and stuff but the real thing that's really cool is what are called the major arcana these are these 22 trump cards that depict essentially like another series of archetypes and you shuffle them around and 
you pull them out, you arrange them however you want, and you read it, and you see these archetypes juxtaposed to each other, and you create a story, and that you know uh, juxtaposition of all these archetypes is almost like a Rorschach test for yourself, because you build a connection automatically, and whatever query, whatever question you have, it helps you focus it and navigate through it. Because again, the tarot is very old. I mean, I think the modern tarot deck that we have, like you can trace it back to Renaissance Italy, but it probably even goes back further than that. So the archetypes themselves, the cards themselves have been refined through multiple years of human experience and multiple cultures to become fairly universal. And so that's what I find interesting about it. Something that I found like very creepy, for example, there's a card in the tarot called the hanged man. And it's this card of a man who's literally hanging upside down. There's a very famous photo in 9-11 of a guy who jumped out of the building He's in the exact same pose as that guy. Right, with the I with mean, the leg at askew. With the leg bent at an angle. If you've ever seen the movie, um, what is it called? The Johnny Depp movie, uh, the the Ninth Gate or whatever about the book salesman who like is trying to summon the devil. I used to be obsessed <clears> with that <throat> movie. But he no, he, he finds that card in a and that like proves the devil's fingerprint mm. to him. You gotta watch that, man. It's called. Let me look at okay, it. I'll watch the Ninth Gate. I'm gonna write that down. <laughs> Do, do you don't think these are just kind of i mean you're referring to the falling man on yeah i don't i don't know i don't believe in some of these connections to major events in history i mean there was a, a oh, tale i'm not trying to i'm not trying to say nick that it's like a, a i don't want to go into like you know oh this is a false flag territory i'm just saying like it's so archetypically refined like it's not that like there's a direct connection it's that the archetype of someone who is in a position of total loss you know, a man, literally a hanging man who's falling, that's the pose they adopt. And then you see that again, like in that specific instance. So right. I don't think it's, it's like about, an intentional it's connection. About, it's not about determinism is what you're saying necessarily. It's more no, just it's like, just, this is like a universal thing that exactly. that people might experience. And, and it exactly. kind of speaks to kind of the way that we evolved and, and, and how much it's been refined share. over the years. Yeah, yeah. exactly. That, that makes sense. Yeah. I think that's that's very close to like how you even think about language at its essence. Like there's these signs that operate in the world. And so over time, we all agree on the words that's being said. So I kept thinking of the word akimbo. His leg is akimbo in that moment. And it would take years and years of us to like develop these shared cultural signs to even say that. So I don't know. That's something very complex we're doing as human beings that I think we take for granted. And I don't know, sort of peeling those layers back at whatever moment we can, I find to be helpful, like going through life. It like allows me to think better. It realizes the mm-hmm. the sort of grooves I'm within all the time. Anyway, I, that's why I, in a large part, appreciate your commentary online, as opposed to a lot of like, you should do more like booty pics though, or like TikTok memes. <laughs> I would also like mix it up in a way that people- You should do more booty pics, Seth, for serious though, man. There's a total lack of them. No, I think, I think, th- I think that like what you're saying makes a lot of sense. So like I'm, by training a biologist and so I, I focus a lot on evolution and like how our, our genes interact with things but i think that what a lot of what you're alluding to and what you know seth is is referring to as well is the additional layer beyond just the purely physical because like you know how how can you how can there be like a physical imprint of what something that someone says to me and that, that influence on me in my brain we we have no con- conception of how that works in our brain on a physical right. and chemical level so they're they're almost must be something else going on and those influences are, are very very hard to quantify but i do think there's something kind of fundamental and shared in if you if you look at you know different cultures that had no no crosstalk and, and no way to communicate with each other there are certain fundamentals that are that are shared 
like a shared part of the human experience. Yeah. Uh, so that's I, like, I for instance, this blue. Oh, that just triggered me, man. So I've read some article or heard a podcast that that's a universal. The expression just uh, just going uh. Literally yeah. every culture around the world understands that is like repeat what you said, which is insane to me. Yeah. No, definitely. Yeah, it's a universal uh, thing. I mean, the, you know, you almost it almost starts getting into talking about like platonic forms and the idea of certain things that exist out there. But speaking of like some sort of underlying structure, it's something I just really wanted to make a point really quickly. Most people don't know this. When you talk about the zodiac, for example, the zodiac is purely a coordinate system. Like the the actual zodiac that we have is not linked to the constellations like it was 10,000 years ago. Now the zodiac is entirely seasonal based. So if you are an Aries, you're born right after the spring equinox. If you're a Cancer, you're born right after the summer solstice. If you're a Libra, right after the fall equinox, and a Capricorn, right after the winter solstice. And from there, you think, okay, I'm a summer baby, I'm a winter baby. You can almost see where like a little bit of an influence on your development can occur if you're born in the winter versus born in the summer. Totally. But That's like I had a. I had a friend that I really related to at work that was born on the exact same day and year as me. And as I was talking to him I, uh, over months, I realized like, damn, cultural events happen to us at the exact same time of our development, right? Like mm -hmm. everything happened to us at the exact same time of our personal development, which would necessitate some sort of affinity or attachment, right? Yeah. yeah and and I mean, also, you know, would make it more likely that you would perceive something in the same way because everyone's brain is always developing. So if you're at the same exact stage, then, then yeah, that, that makes perfect sense because everything that we perceive is like, <laughs> everything that we perceive is influenced by our own consciousness. That's my like beat, and, beatnik snapping. I'm feeling very like, uh, yeah, like the way that your yeah, consciousness yeah, perceives yeah. things is going to be influenced by the, your stage of development. So I think that's just wait. Like first of all, the reason I think Nick isn't engaging in this at all is because he's more of an Aristotelian than a, a Platonist, in my opinion. Oh, I think I think love is universal. I think there's Ellie is listening in on this. I gotta change rooms because she just <laughs> laughed. Um, <laughs> disrespectful no i think <laughs> she she didn't have a context to what we we're talking about but um she's yeah. your wife and she doesn't have a context to it no 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 we're we're so we're talking about the zodiac we're talking about like human nature and i don't whatever oh okay ellie just says oh okay whatever but so there are things that are universal i mean that when you were talking about the the What's the grammatical term for an onomatopoeia, right? Is that what it is? Oh, like the when word? something sounds the way it feels or yeah. zap and stuff like that. Well, yeah, well, yeah exactly. Well, sir, but, 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 uh, or it's just when you make an exclamation of some sort, like you, there, there's universal, there's a universal language, essentially. I mean, I'm not a linguist. I think that's called math. Nick, it's called math. Sure, but yeah, I'm I'm not qualified to speak uh, in an educated manner on this topic. But none of us are speaking I think in an educated manner on the topic. That's the point, Nick. You're a human. That's all you need to engage, Nick. I don't speak in an educated manner on any topic. But what, you don't think love is universal? <laughs> I think love is. Wait, let's bring Ellie in here. Ellie, do you think love is universal? Yeah, yeah. Hold on. Do you think love is universal? I don't understand. You're just like saying phrases. What are you? Wait. Wait. <laughs> <laughs> what are you trying to? Say? How do I get What's off your uh, speaker? Poor <laughs> woman. I'm suspicious. Wait. How do I get speaker? Uh, speakerphone. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, oh, Nick it's on speakerphone. Too much. No. 
to be honest, Ellie. What Nick, I would Nick, say is that love with love for a partner is not universal, but like love for your child is universal. Like I think that mm. there's something that's like biologically driven there. At least yeah. you know, again, speaking as a as a father and and someone only from uh, my see, perspective. See, this is now interesting because I think y'all are using universal in a different way. Ben, I think, is using it as like as big as the universe, like sort of more oh, more no. than anything. No, I was using using it as like. I, I think that like not like, not like you will do anything for no. him or that kid. No, I'm, the I'm, kid can I'm do universally that, like, anything. Most people would feel this way about their own kid. Like most people who are not damaged would feel the ways that I feel about my children. See, but Total I think default human experience. Basically. But I think, I think you and yeah, Nick are exactly, defining exactly. universal in a slightly different way. Like sort of, we were saying that there's a sort of platonic universality to love naturally. So like love and all. Nick was saying that. Sort of love can operate in any situation. Love can be found in all atoms of the universe. Where you're sort of saying more like, my love for my child is universal in its context. Like you, it's all encompassing of that child. The child can do no. I mean, they can do wrong, but you will never love them less. They, they can, can do, do a lot of wrong, but. <laughs> but you know, uh, this brings me to a question by the great philosopher Hathaway: What is love? Ah, uh, baby, don't hurt oh. me. <laughs> <laughs> Well, he, I mean, yeah, it's, hurt it's is also universal because he says, "Baby, don't hurt me." No mm. more. No more. No more. Such an abusive song, really. When you think about it. Okay. It is very open-ended. Doesn't do so, a wait, lot what else? to answer the questions it poses. All right, what else should we talk about? Exercise. Well, Jesus Christ! I mean, like, yeah. Oh. Let's, what else should we talk about aside from like oh, I got a fundamental human this. experience and like what is love? <laughs> I got a question, what Nick. The, what is your concept of self? Like, do you want to go there? <laughs> we could. Uh, Nick, so I got a friend who mm-hmm. is a one of the top turnip farmers in the Ukraine. Do you have any advice for him this coming year? Harvest. What's going to go down? Uh, is he Western or East? Eastern Ukraine. Oh, right, actually, kind of close to Crimea. So is that like the Donbass region? Is that like the, the region of concern? I can't pronounce it, so I don't know. Yeah. Uh... What is it near Mariupol or whatever? All right, it's it's right there, Nick. It's right in the eastern. Nick, it's in the worst part of Ukraine to be in. (laughs) It's literally in the worst part of Ukraine possible. It well, it that decision will be made in Moscow, and then that decision will be made. The response to that decision will be made in D.C. I don't know. I mean, I guess it. It's up to what uh, our national security team in the White House is is planning to either coerce Putin to not do anything or or will they just stand down? But like when you ponder your orb, what do you see? I think I'm not good at predicting the future. Like Mm. I was rooting for the Bills. Well, although that might be a good prediction, but, you know, they obviously have a history of losing. But I think I don't know. You think they do, yeah. All right, Nick, you got nothing. And you know you know why? Because there's no way Putin invades. The odds of him, this is all saber-rattling. I know no one wants, uh, it's like will, a cliche saying. Do you think? He I could think invade more Kharkiv. likely than not that he invades. Yeah, I think he will, he, he mobilized too much of his military not to do anything at this point. I and mean, he's mobilized half of his ground army, if not more. I think he'll nibble at Kharkiv and Mariupol. And and I think yeah I would recommend that your farmer friend uh, maybe relocate to the western part of Ukraine for the time being. Mm. Most likely relocate is... turnip fields is that a thing I didn't realize. <laughs> Good point. Yeah, I think what's most healthy, likely you know? is like if you look at like what Lutashenko is saying, it seems most likely that Russia is going to use the puppet in Belarus to 
start some kind of conflict in Ukraine, prevent them from getting into NATO, and then give themselves the excuse of going in under some sort of peacekeeping guise. Like, that seems the most likely. Yeah, and they'll, the they'll, they'll want to topple Zelensky. That's definitely up there on their list. The other thing is they control a breakaway province of Moldova called Transnistria, which is actually, ironically, on the southwestern border of Ukraine between Moldova and Ukraine, and they have some forces there that they could use. So they're... Ukraine is uh, it's not in a great spot at the moment. Yeah, I wonder if they got squeezed there somehow by someone on their western flank. I think I think it is interesting, you know, making a comment about saber rattling. There's this is not Ukraine, but I I can't help but think of like how, you know, the the what is it the non-aligned axis or whatever. For the first time, missiles were fired at the UAE and from Yemen from Houthi rebels in Yemen who are. At Abu you know, Dhabi. Yeah, at Abu Dhabi, sorry, at the UAE. And they intercepted them. But that is, to my recollection, the first time in recent memory a direct assault has been made on the UAE. I had always kind of viewed it as like, a, you know, a Middle Eastern Switzerland where things are kind of off limits. It's like where business goes down and, and whatnot. But I saw that as very interesting. So you think that's potentially a red herring, like things are off the de-escalation table and things might actually, the shit might go down? Because it seems like that is what's so frustrating about thinking that way, or at least in my mind, is that is the entire setup of our military industrial complex, our hawkish foreign policy, is that we do need to be constantly thinking that shit is about to go down or else the whole setup doesn't work. You know what I'm saying? So I don't know. I'm always cautious of of actually sitting there and being like is war gonna get here because you it 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 almost like i don't know it's like you care careful what you wish for because if if we're constantly going to be saying like oh it's not here yet but it might be let's spend more money on military things like shouldn't we just de-escalate isn't it just simpler to just fucking de-escalate spend less money on military things yeah, but well, isn't, doesn't that come down to like you need leverage? You need an actual right. military to de-escalate. You need leverage. Well, you need incentive. And if you, it also you, depends on who's the instigator, right? Like, if you look at like some of our wars in the Middle East, they were not necessarily things that we needed to get into. Ukraine feels a little bit different, at least from my perspective, as someone who is living in Europe and would like the continent to to continue existing normally. It does feel like there's some unchecked aggression on the part of Russia here, and that feels a little bit different to me, at least in terms of like who is instigating things. But again, I don't know enough about it to make an educated so, opinion. So Russia, I just Russia wish... had unchecked aggression in Burkina. They just toppled the Burkina Bay government in Africa. The uh, They're in Syria. I mean, wasn't that already in a civil war? Wasn't that country already was, in... Well, to a certain degree, but they had Russian mercenaries. They had a large presence of Wagner Group Russian mercenaries on the ground in Burkina Faso that they utilized to overthrow the government. I mean, so they're... They're not. Their aggression is not just unchecked in Ukraine. It is unchecked globally. Um, yeah. And they're they're a mess. Yeah, I don't ever hear to, anything about Africa. I don't know. And I, this is news to me. Like there's a Daily Beast article about this. But like they're they're in Africa. They're they're they they don't deploy their conventional forces there. They use proxies right. like this. What do you call it? Private military uh, or P, P, these sort of uh, mercenary PMCs, organizations. Right? Yeah, PMC. And, they're they're unchecked in Syria. They're unchecked in a lot of places in Central African Republic, for example. They have a presence of mercenaries. They're 
I mean, the the, the Russians. I don't know, man. It seems like that sounds like a, a little far fetched. That um, that we're really we need to worry about Russian military special operatives around the world when the American military. You don't think the American military has a handle on these Russian operatives? It just seems like a little bit of like a stretch to say that like th- that Russia is really that much of a polar weight to our military counterweight on the other side i hear this argument all the time that yeah but we're not in the cold war anymore like are we sure that's the case you know seth isn't that kind of like i mean that's sort of that mentality of um you know who's that what's that story about that guy who always thinks he can hit the home run and then he strikes out anyways you know what i'm talking about casey at the bat yeah casey at the bat it's like oh you know we don't need to worry about it i don't know if that's a sort of thing that actually goes on in you know, military planning or not, but we, we take a lot of things for granted. Russian military capability is not what it, it, it is actually much, much more professional than it's ever been. They have really advanced electronic warfare capability, extraditionary warfare. They're, they, they have really silent, deadly submarines. Now they're not like this kind of 1990s has been abandoned financially debated military that they used to. They're got it. Okay, I got they it. We should be scared of Russia. I got it. Okay. We should be scared of Russia, China, Iran, and asymmetric terrorist organizations. Asymmetric terrorist organizations and CRISPR people making lab, making oh viruses God. in the homegrown lab. Oh gosh, Which, CRISPR is, is kind of frightening just on like a... I mean, I was like a omelet. Like a I mean, because I'm just I'm just some moron who just like reads scary articles and, and pisses himself. But like, I would love to hear an actual biologist like talk about what he thinks. CRISPR Cas9. The issue that is going to prevent CRISPR Cas9 from becoming like a thing that can be sort of used spontaneously is the fact that it's like impossible to get into every cell in the body. It's very very difficult. So what is often used is what is called a transcription factor. So that's what tells mm-hmm. a cell to actually make the genes that or the the proteins that are then involved in editing the genes and there are right. very 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 few universal transcription factors actually in fact i think there's none that you could just put in and then every single cell is going to use that transcription factor so wherever crispr cas9 has been used is in either permissive mouse models where you essentially always put the target for a transcription factor in every single cell of the mouse and that's just you know what's what's a what's a fundamental thing in in the mouse model um and then you use whatever promoter you want to then produce the the essential machinery that doesn't exist in humans the only way to do this would be like in utero from a very very early stage where you allow just the natural process of of cell division to produce whatever it is that's artificial that you put in but um, they so, could develop things for uh, like site-based things, like your eye color or something. I was hearing that that there yes, are. Yes, but that would be that. Would, but that would need to be involved from day zero, right? When you have an embryo, when you have a, when you have, a, you know, a zygote. You you so, can't I mean, really do that after the fact. It's just not a thing. Yeah. It's, it wouldn't work. Well, what is the what then? What how is it that like when people want to make you know modified. RNA or modified, you know, genetic material in code. What what is the pro, what is the program they use to compile that? Or if somebody wants to alter a virus, like just some crazy dude in the lab wants to make his own vaccine or make a new strain of something. I mean, what do they use to do that? And is that something people can do? Like, like an average meth lab has a ton of equipment. Like, how much do you need in order to do that in like a shack in Oklahoma? 
you would not be able to do that in a shack in Oklahoma. What is starting to be what what you might be referring to is what's called like biohacking now, which is kind of like mm. backyard, uh, backyard kind of of setups. But a lot of the time, this is kind of limited to genetic sequencing or like pretty basic stuff in terms of like primers you might be able to get. It's it's pretty difficult to do this on your own to an extent that would be that would be dangerous. And I think the other you know fundamental thing to keep in mind about RNA is that RNA degrades very very quickly. It's very very hard to get things to integrate into our own genome to the extent that they're dangerous. This is basically what retroviruses do. This is like a very specific class of viruses like HIV and and other viruses of that ilk. But there's not that many of them because there's a very specific enzyme that's required, and it's it's mm. not necessarily easy to do. In terms of uh, of stuff like the RNA vaccine, it degrades extremely quickly. It degrades faster than other vaccines that you put into your body, other protein-based vaccines. And there's there's never been a documented long-term effect from any vaccine beyond two months that didn't show symptoms within two months. Like no, no, but I'm, I'm talking about like somebody, you know, for example, like the uh, people use like adenoviruses as vectors for delivering mm-hmm. material. I'm just talking if there's some, you know, evil genius who wants to modify another virus. You're talking about asymmetric warfare. Yeah. Like, could you do like change something. of function How stuff in your that? backyard somehow? You, uh, Maybe, but it would be extremely, extremely difficult to make an adenovirus into anything that's that's like actually dangerous. So this is why like smallpox has been eradicated and the only samples of smallpox are kept completely under lock and key. Like it's not easy to necessarily take a virus that's fairly benign and make it extremely, extremely dangerous. Like this isn't really a, a thing that happens. This has happened to some extent with COVID, but coronaviruses were already kind of a virus of note. Like if you remember mm. SARS, SARS was a coronavirus. They're, they're like this, this particular family of viruses has some precedent for being extremely transmissible and deadly in certain populations and that kind of thing. And, and so if you, if you have that kind of platform, then maybe yes, potentially, but it would be, it would be quite difficult to do that in a backyard without a lot of like very, very, High tech and like you're saying, couldn't you just do it with the Delta variant? Couldn't you go back to the Delta variant, which was more virulent, and somehow mess with it, and then make like a super strain of the Delta variant? You would need some kind of pretty powerful selection tool. So, like the normal way that that people, because some people do this, right? Like you will take some kind of pathogen and you'll try and give them a gain of function. You'll essentially give them random mutations and then see what happens. <clears throat> via what's called selection. So you put them on a dish of cells and and blah, 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 blah. The problem with with doing this with COVID is that like what we see when you put it on dishes of cells is not necessarily translate to to people. And this is part of the reason why you have such gigantic responses in terms of like the spectrum. So there's some people who are completely asymptomatic and are completely fine. And then there's people who get pneumonia and die, right? It's like, it's very, very difficult to do this in a way that would be repeatable so I also think translate uh, to yeah, human, part of like, like kind of um, maybe I'm not answering this correctly, but yeah. the mechanism for changing a virus or creating a new virus, I don't think it's 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 as or even vaccine. I don't know how it works virus versus vaccine. It seems more randomized or in like it chemical is, based yeah. than it is like a computer like, program you're putting something into. And it's like G A C T F. It's like you're you're combining these things 
and then you're measuring things empirically after the fact to see what happens as opposed to yeah it's not like it's not like you could change you know a few things or you could take a gene from a different virus that's more virulent and put it in and then see the effects of it like that's that's just not how it works and it wouldn't you wouldn't get a functional virus by doing that so sorry I mean, I was no, no, just really what what I mean. The thing is, it triggered me is when when Nick mentioned asymmetric warfare, and I was thinking about how we were, you know, back twenty years ago, we were all worried about you know bombs on planes and all these unknown threats from yeah, any threats, random person, so, yeah. right? And so then now I'm wondering, well, as the technology becomes more widespread, okay, maybe not a shack in Oklahoma, but you can see where maybe a very well funded organization could put something together. I, I'm just curious because I don't know where science fiction starts and reality ends with regards to that, what the timeline is. I just wonder mm-hmm. if this is the new thing that we're going to be all worried about is like some, you know, crazy maniac in his little tower unleashing something. I no, know, I think, I think, it, I think it's, I think it's becoming increasingly likely. Like that's, that's the reality. I think we're not quite there yet, but I would say as well as I'm, you know, pretty much convinced that COVID got out of a lab in China because they were they were doing research on it. I don't think that it was necessarily malicious, but you know, from there, if you have a crazy person who happens to be working in one of these right, facilities exactly. and if they have shitty security protocols and they don't do adequate background screens, then yeah, you know, some something like this could happen. And I think we are to the or point a where a lot of this... or whatever that you just have well, your own at, look lab. At look well, at have you heard that Port Dietrich guy who was anthrax, who was sort of responsible mm-hmm. for the 2001, 2002 anthrax attacks. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Ben, have you heard of this? I don't. I mean, this is some random Twitter thing, so I don't know. But there's a theory going around now that like Omicron was actually intentionally released as like a mild form of COVID that was highly transmissible in order to like spread it to a bunch of other people. And I just read all these Twitter threads by people who claim to be, you know, epidemiologists and geneticists saying how the mutations of Omicron are not, they don't follow a natural tree and a natural path of mutations. And they're like jumbled pieces together. I don't know. I didn't even bother reading it because it's just so far out of my field. I'm wondering if like people in your field talk about that. Uh, not necessarily like deliberate, but I think what is interesting is that Omicron and what is pretty commonly accepted at this point is that Omicron represents like a serious jump in evolution. So probably mm. what happened is that it evolved in like very permissive hosts. So this could be people with like limited immune system or who are on immunosuppressive drugs or something like that. And I think it's increasingly accepted now that it originated in Eastern Europe somewhere and then went to to Africa where it was first detected. You know, it what I would say is if if whoever if it is true that it was designed then whoever did it did a great job because I think that like Omicron represents I don't know about that Ben. No, 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 no. What I'm saying is no. no Omicron represents Omicron represents like this is the hottest of hot takes. No, no, no. no. This this represents like the first domino in this thing being over. Doctor like, says Omicron mm, is a great yeah. invention. This is this is like this is this has been observed in pandemics in the past. Like a lot of the time, what happens is that these things. Okay, these, Ben. These I told of, you this three months ago or two months ago that this was going to be a silver lining, and you were like maybe. And then a week right, later, and now like, I'm saying right. a, a week later or is it two months ago? Eat your cake after he serving it. <laughs> I'm just saying, like now. I'm gonna tell you. I'll tell you what Ben's answer is gonna be. It's that yes, Omicron. <laughs> if if it's if this has been engineered, they did a really classy job of engineering it. But at the same time, it's probably not likely because, like he was saying, I mean, it's kind of insane right. how a lot of these places 
are doing tracking on individual patients who they think could be vectors for evolutionary advances in Omicron because they're either HIV positive or they're taking these immunodepressants. So like the level of genetic tracking that's going on by our medical community is somewhat insane and kind of scares me that they can potentially one day track these, like I, I mentioned this a couple, like a month ago, that odds are they can track every one of these variants back to an individual host, which is like not good for society, right? If that gets out or whatever. Or for... Do do not do 23andMe. Do not do Ancestry.com. Do not do any of these things because the consent and the way that these things work is is it's the wild wild west like essentially if you do 23andme then you are dooming all of your ancestors to like being registered to some kind of genetic database the rules for which and how it can be used by law enforcement or by whoever whatever corporation pays enough money they've not been at all set so do not fucking do this. It's Isn't that how they crazy. caught the Golden State Killer? Yes. Not that that's a bad re- not that that's <laughs> yeah. reason. Yeah. No, that's a great point, Nick. If you think you have any cousins who are serial killers, <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm teasing you. All I'm saying this is, is now on the, the Police podcast. This is the the rules have not been at all established, and you are like I said, you are dooming like every everyone who's related to you and all of your all of your descendants, jeopardizing their privacy. So. Uh, you know, there, it, it could be, it's it's very you know feasible that well, an insurance company. Thankfully, my mom and dad have already it's like very feasible. Twenty three and me, so I feel like we did it for our cat. But like we're all we're all you know, imagine an insurance company just goes ahead and pays enough money, and then they give people different rates based on like oh yeah, that's true, that's an obvious flags one. If you have their, genetic, yeah, fucked up. You're dooming all of your descendants to that kind of thing, which is I think a pretty feasible future dystopia that we might be a part of hmm. in the next 20 to 30 years. So but can you imagine that. a dating service based on your genetics? Swipe right on a girl who's like a 98, you know, percent compatibility or something like, Hey baby. I mean, we have to, it's science. What's funny. <laughs> my favorite, my favorite science experiment of all time is what's called the sweaty t-shirt test. So this is oh, like yeah. proof that pheromones exist in, in people. So Basically, they had men wear T-shirts to sleep in a hot room overnight, and then so they would sweat into the T-shirt, and then they would present them to to various women the next day. And the women like universally preferred the scent of people who had disparate genomes to them. So like this is basically proof that like you should try and marry someone and have and procreate with someone outside of your immediate gene pool. This is like. Don't don't inbreed. Mm. All right, that's a great way to end the podcast. Don't inbreed. Yes, golden retriever. I could Next I time. could definitely uh, definitely condone not inbreeding. I could definitely not Doctor's condone orders. doing twenty three and me. <laughs> to this week.